If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to 1 Timothy, which will be our kind of launch-off points, not just for tonight, but indeed for this series that we're going to be looking at through the fall on spiritual disciplines. So to begin that, we're, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read together verses 6 to 10, which introduces to this theme of being disciplined for godliness, and I think will help us think well uh, about the project that we're going to be engaged with together uh, as we work our way through the fall. But, but before we turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we need God's help. Let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, we come this evening desiring once again in the close of this day, this Lord's Day, to hear a word from the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would open our eyes of faith this, this evening, that we would see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Encourage our hearts tonight, Lord, that we might press on in this walk with Christ and pursue godliness without which we shall not see the Lord. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, just a note I am reading from the NIV this evening. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've started running again. I got on the scales in late July, and I didn't like the number that I saw, so I got off, and I got back on again, and sure enough, it was the same number. And so Sunday night, July 30, I, I laid out my shirt and shorts and shoes so that the next morning they would be speaking to me it's time to put us on and go run. I, I found that actually really helpful, especially when I'm trying to get back into the routine, into the discipline of running, to put my clothes out the night before, to create this, this sense of expectation that I'm going to run in the morning. And so I'm, I'm three weeks in, I'm being back to running. Some psychologists talk about what's called the 2190 rule. The idea is that it, that it takes 21 days for something to become a habit, 90 days for it to become a lifestyle change, something more ingrained than a habit, something that you can't imagine doing without. And, and so three weeks in, my running's become a habit again, but I have a ways to go before it's a lifestyle change once again. But of course, before running can become a habit, before it can become embedded into my lifestyle. Again, I had to discipline myself and, and still must discipline myself to put my clothes out the night before and then to get up and to get out the door. All that's germane, I think, to the passage 
that we have before us this evening. And indeed, it's germane to this entire series that I and the other pastors will be doing on Sunday nights in the fall. After all, we often look at our following after Jesus and we wonder, what's wrong with us? And how do we go about changing us? We might be the couple who's who's five years into marriage, and we have to confess here at our five-year mark that we were closer to Jesus before we got married than we have been in our since we got married, and we miss Jesus. Or we're the 30-something woman who's, who's followed Jesus since her earliest memory, but is, has struggled with pornography since her teenage years and feels so unclean. We might be the mature man who, who rarely misses a worship service, but it, but it all feels empty and stale and rote, and, and he absolutely abhors that. We might be the individual who struggles with angry, bitter words, regularly blasting those closest to us only to feel deep shame and wants to change, but, but doesn't know how. Are you one of those weeds tonight? How do we change? How might we become, to, to use the word from our passage this evening, how might we become godly? Well, well we, we know this. Change doesn't happen when we do nothing. Let me say that again. Change doesn't happen when we do nothing. We know that when it comes to losing weight, if we, if we don't exercise and we don't change our eating habits, we just don't lose weight. We know that in the workplace. If we don't learn new skills or engage in new patterns or try new things, we won't improve. We won't grow in the workplace. But it's the same spiritually. We must use the means that God has given us so that he might have more space in our hearts, in our lives, to change us. And we call these means that God uses spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are various practices that God has ordained in his word that create space in our lives for God to work. But, but the thing with practices is that we must, you know, practice them. We must engage with them so that we might, in using them, train ourselves to be godly. That's the call of this passage we've read this evening. In 1 Timothy here, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus. And Paul's giving Timothy instructions on how to minister in this unique Ephesian context. There's all sorts of teaching going on in the city, from pagan sources, from various heretical forms of Christianity, from Timothy himself about how to deal with the wayward desires of the flesh. And, and Paul wants Timothy to see, but also he wants us to see that the gospel actually sets out a different way. But in order for us to, to see that, Paul first wants us to see what he's not talking about. What, what, what's not this, not the, the, the way, the pathway of change and and the not this of the passage is actually in the previous paragraph. In verses 1 to 5, it appears that some were promoting the, the, the denying of oneself certain foods or denying oneself marriage or sexual relations within marriage. 
Those are the, the godless myths and old wives' tales that Paul rejects in verse 7. You know, to be sure, there have been many throughout the generations that have emphasized an ascetic denial of the body, the avoidance of certain foods, or the, the promotion of other foods that purport to be pure and hence spiritual. Take, for example, the graham cracker. Sylvester Graham was a Presbyterian minister in the 19th century, and he was America, one of America's earliest vegetarians. He believed that eating whole grain foods would minimize pleasure of all kinds. That may be true. And the avoidance of meat would cooperate with that, which would then, by extension, avoiding pleasure, sensual pleasure, would enable people to be healthy and hence more spiritual. And so to that end, he developed a particular kind of flour called graham flour that would then be baked into crackers and bread. And his, his followers grew so numerous that the National Biscuit Company began to mass produce graham crackers in 1898. So there you go. Something new you didn't know. Graham crackers is a way to spirituality. But we know that's crazy, right? I mean, even just laughing about it, we recognize that, that a particular kind of cracker or a particular kind of bread or the avoidance of certain foods or eating other foods doesn't make one spiritual at all. That's a myth. It's a fable. It's a, a fairy tale. And so Paul's telling us, no, that that's not the pathway. It's not this, but rather this. What's, what's the pathway that Paul points out to us? Well, it's it's there in verse 6. He says, You will be a good man of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. The way we grow in godliness is through the truths of the faith, is through the good teaching that you followed. In other words, the ultimate source of spiritual growth is the gospel of Jesus. That's why we come back again and again, Sunday by Sunday, to who Jesus is and who Jesus is for us. What has he done for us? How much does he love us? How much does he sacrifice on the cross? What is the power of his resurrection? What does that mean? We come again and again to this good teaching of God's word. Not, not verse 1, the, the teaching, the things taught by demons, deceiving spirits. No. No, we come to the gospel. We come to the truths of the faith that center on Jesus. But how do we do this? Next time, we'll talk about corporate worship. That's how we do that collectively. But how do we do it individually? How do we, as individuals, come back again and again to the good teaching of God's word, to, to the gospel itself? Well, that's where the spiritual disciplines come in. That's the point of Paul's comparison in verse 8. Look at verse 8. For physical training is of some value, Paul says. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the things to come. That comparison's right at the center of this section. Paul starts with a common claim that was held by spiritual teachers, not just Christian teachers, but other spiritual teachers, philosophers in the ancient world, namely that physical training has some value. The word here uh, in verse 8 for physical training is the word gymnasia. You hear our words gymnastics or gymnasium in that word. 
This is the only place where that New Testament, in the New Testament, where that word is used. But it has the idea that you would expect it to have. Physical bodily training. And Paul's saying that bodily training, physically training, that's like that which might happen at, at the newly opened Gold's Gym or, or at Crunch Fitness, has some value. Because there's effort and toil there. There's labor and intensity there. My son, Ben, who's the only weightlifter in the family, when he goes working out, he says he likes to make metal defy gravity. I love that. And there's value in making metal defy gravity. Paul tells us that training has some value. It has value for some things. If you're going to play football, you, you, you need physical training. If you want to lose weight, you need to train your body. If, if you want to run a 10K, you need physical training. But Paul's not here to promote physical training. He's making a comparison. Physical training, he says, is valuable for some things. But godliness, he says, has value for all things. For this life and the life to come. So how might we grow in godliness? How might we become more like Christ? Well, through spiritual training, through the use of the spiritual disciplines. So, so what kind of disciplines, what kind of spiritual practices are most conducive to our growing in godliness? Or to put it differently, how might we create most space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to apply the gospel to our hearts again and again? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this fall. We're going to look at practices like corporate worship, reading the Bible and, and meditating upon it, prayer and fasting, stewardship and service, hospitality, other things besides. These are spiritual practices or disciplines that engage us and create space for the Spirit to be work, at work in our lives, to grow us in godliness and to sustain us in this life and the life to come. That, that's why Paul gives such a strong confirmation that this is all true. Paul says in verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Well, what's the trustworthy saying? Well, what he's just said, that, that spiritual training and the pursuit of godliness has value for this life and the life to come. We can trust that. That's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And then he goes on, that is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who's the savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Notice Paul's own laboring and striving. His ministry, his, his service is a strenuous form of training, which is born out of trusting in and hoping in the God who has shown himself alive in the resurrected Jesus. And Paul's desire is for God's people, the ones to whom Timothy is ministering in Ephesus, and the ones that I'm ministering to here in Memphis. He he desires for us to cross the finish line, to, to make it to the end of the race, and to hear the commendation of the Savior and to know great joy. And the spiritual disciplines will help us run the race with endurance all the way to the end. I'll never forget one time spending a Saturday afternoon watching the Ironman competition from Kona, Hawaii uh, on TV. I think it was on ESPN or NBC or whatever. But, but that particular race was amazing. Marinda Carfrey um, was the women's winner, uh, and she was awesome. 
She blew away the marathon to win by over eight minutes total. She shattered her own marathon record in the Ironman, which, remember, comes after a two-mile swim, after 112 miles on the bike. Then you run the marathon. She was unbelievable. But as it drew closer to the midnight hour, which divided the finishers from the non-finishers of the Ironman, the, the Hawaiian crowds had remained to cheer those who finished, Miranda Carefrey came out to the finish line. And as people would cross the line, they'd hear the announcer say, congratulations, you are an Iron Man. And she would put the medals over their, their head and around their necks. And I'll never forget that as she did so, her face shone with joy. This was the woman who won the whole competition who destroyed the competition, who set a record for the marathon at the end of the Ironman. But her face was beaming with joy because the finishers' faces were beaming with joy. They finished the race, and so did she. And there was great joy at the end. My friends, your Savior is at the finish line. He's, he's waiting to welcome you. He's waiting to... to share with you his glory and, and all of the spoils that are his as the founder and perfecter of the faith. He waits at the finish line and he's waiting for you to finish. How will you finish the race? How will you make it to the end? Well, surely Jesus' own grace will be what sustains you, what empowers you. But, but here's the thing. You have to keep on running. You, you have to keep running you have to keep trusting in the midst of the trials. You have to keep hoping in the midst of sorrow. You have to keep loving in the midst of hurt. How do you keep on running? You have to train to do so. You have to train to keep on running. And the way we train is to use these disciplines, these means that God gives us so that his grace continues to strengthen us so that we keep on running to the end but the finish and the joy in which Jesus' joy becomes our joy and our joy reflects Jesus' joy, friends, the joy is worth it. Keep on running and train for godliness. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do bless you that you give us these means, preeminently word, sacrament, and prayer, but other means like corporate worship and like witness, stewardship and service, you give us these means so that we might continue to run the race with endurance, with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, trying to run to the end. Oh, Holy Spirit, oh, grace of Jesus, uphold us, sustain us, fuel us, we ask. But Lord, help us. Help us tonight to determine we're going to set out our clothes set out our Bibles, set out our prayer books so that in the morning we can begin to train so that we might run with endurance and so know your joy. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.